0: In your life, and it, it'll your life will be healed if you let that happen. Israel will cry to me, My God, we know you. But they were not worshiping God in the north, as God prescribed, the prescribed worship that God revealed to Moses, that we looked at in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, and the book of Numbers. God prescribed how they were to worship in the way, and in, 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 in when they worshiped as he prescribed, they lifted up the sacrifice, they were seeing God. It was a revelation of who God is and what God would ultimately do for mankind in Jesus Christ. Every single detail about the sacrifice, the priesthood, the tabernacle, which later became a, the fixed structure of the temple, every little detail of it was a foreshadow of God's revelation of himself in Christ and what God would do for us. They weren't worshiping as God prescribed. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They were not only doing their own thing religiously. Notice in verse four, they were doing their own thing civically or governmentally. They set up kings, but not by me. The north rebelled and they said, we're not gonna be joined to the south, but the problem is is it's in the south where Jerusalem is, where the worship was happening as God prescribed and that's where God was seen, that was where God was revealed in the temple, in the sacrifice. God says you've rejected the good. You've rejected what I've revealed about myself. You're cut off. Now you're setting up kings for yourself up in the north. I, I I don't have anything to do with those guys. And every single one of them, as we studied there, It says every one of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And and, and the definition of they did evil in the eyes of the Lord is they didn't bring the people or let the people go to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And they made these idols. They they, they carved lies into wood and stone. And they were consumed with these idols. And those lies were wrecking their lives. You made princes, but I didn't acknowledge them. They're doing their own thing, religiously, civically. For their silver and gold, they made these idols for themselves that they may be cut off. Overlaying these idols that they made of wood and stone with silver and gold made them beautiful. That it didn't change the fact that they were all lies, misrepresentations of God. That they were destroying their lives. They were cutting. It was, these lies were cutting them off from fellowship with God, bringing them into bondage. God says, "I'm going to cut those lies off from you that are cutting you off from me. I'm going to destroy your beautiful silver and gold overlaid idols. Your calf is rejected." Literally, your calf stinks. What is this calf? Your calf stinks, O Samaria. Well, in Samaria, they set up the worship of the golden calf. Remember when Moses was up on Sinai receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments? Aaron was down with the children of Israel making a golden calf. And they had an orgy around this. And Moses comes down with the commands. And he sees this happening. And he takes the Ten Commandments and he breaks them. On the ground, <laughs> they, Moses hadn't even come off the mountain yet, and they were breaking all the commandments. They were worshiping a golden calf, and Moses looks at Aaron. Aaron was his right hand. Aaron was his spokesman, and Aaron's like, "I, I just, I took this gold, I threw it in the fire, and it just came out." He lied. He totally lied. He was embarrassed. Well, up in the north now, centuries later, the north, they're, they're, making the, they're making the golden calf. This is where they were at. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence, God asks? For from Israel is even this. A workman made it, and, and it is not God. It's a misrepresentation of me. But the calf of Samaria, it will be broken in pieces. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud, it shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens will swallow it up. You've heard that saying, right? Comes right here from Hosea chapter 8. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. In other words, it will seem to Israel that the judgment they receive is worse than the sins they committed. That's not true, but that's how when it's finally time that we reap what we sow, many times that's how it feels. Wow, this is way worse. I I sowed... I sowed the wind and I reaped the whirlwind. It's like out of proportion. That's how it feels. Usually because we sin, when we sin over a long period of time, then the judgment comes. Everything collapses and it's so huge, the collapse, that we feel like this is out of proportion. But it's not. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles. The Assyrians are going to take them away. Like a vessel in which is no pleasure. They have gone up to Assyria. Like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes they have. Though they have hired among the nations. I will now gather them. Even in pronouncing. The chastisement. God's called it that. It's also called judgment. It's a. God chastens those he loves, and sometimes it's severe. Even in the midst of announcing this is where this is leading, God can't stand it. He has to show, shine this ray of hope in t- through the dark clouds of the coming judgment. And he says, but I'm going to gather you back. They shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes, because Ephraim has made many altars for sin They have become for him altars for sinning I have written for him the great things of my law But they were considered a strange thing There's so much that, There's so much in everything I revealed But because of their preoccupation with idols They looked and go, what is all this? What is all this? What is this stuff? And it was in the law and the prophets that God was revealing the Christ who was to come. But they looked at it and go, What is all this? Like a lot of people read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they go, What is all this? This seems like strange stuff, but when you get into it and you really take a look at it, God is revealing who He is and what He is ultimately going to do for us in Christ. You know, in the Luke, in Luke chapter four in the New Testament, after Jesus had died for the sins of the world and was raised from the dead, some of His disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and they were depressed because they thought He was going to overthrow the Romans. Instead, He died. And they didn't understand it. They, and, and he appeared to them on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. And Jesus asked them, they didn't know who this guy was that appeared to him. And they, Jesus said, What kind of conversation are you guys having right now as you're walking, and why are you so sad? And they said, Well, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been going on around here lately? concerning Jesus, and they're talking to Jesus. (laughs) Are you the only guy, are you like a stranger in town? They asked him, and he said, well, what things? (laughs) What things happened with this Jesus? Jesus said this to them, and they said to him, the things concerning Jesus, you know? He was supposed to deliver us and smash the Romans and slaughter, instead he was crucified and he's dead. And they were disillusioned. And Jesus said to them, Oh foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And Jesus asked them, he said, Ought not the Christ, ought not the Christ, according to your scriptures? And they still don't recognize. they don't know who he is. Ought not he to have suffered? these things that you said that he suffered, the crucifixion and all, and to enter into his glory, doesn't the scripture reveal that this would happen to the Messiah? And beginning at Moses, the law, and all of the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures, all the things in the scriptures that were concerning himself. He took them through this, the whole book, Bible and said look at how this was pointing to me look at how this was a foreshadow of me and their their eyes were, were opened he broke bread with them and their eyes were opened they're like oh my gosh that was the Lord the risen Lord God's saying here to Ephraim I've written for him I've written for my people the great things of my law But they looked and they considered it, like what is this? What is this? And they turned to their idols. I don't know about you, but the Bible is a mind-boggling book. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't raised hearing Bible stories. We didn't even have a Bible in my house. I was raised a full-blown, I don't even know what I was. I was just a heathen dog and I didn't even think about it. I was just surfing and playing in a rock band, getting ready for college and chasing girls and And God broke into my life and I started looking into everything. I studied all the different world religions and the Bible was so different. It's, it's a mind-blowing book. Jordan Peterson said it is the book and that all other literature you can trace it all back to the Bible, <laughs> you know? It's, amaz- it's an amazing book. And God's like, I've written all this in my law, and Ephraim, you look at it and go, what is this? And I, here's, these are, this is more interesting, these idols over here, as your lives are deteriorating and everything's falling apart. The, the scripture is the foundation of so much You know, I mean, I don't even know where to start. It's the foundation of modern science. All of our Ivy League schools were started as Bible colleges, Harvard and Yale and Princeton, all of them, you know. It's the foundation of people, the greatest lawyers in the world are the ones who've been studying this stuff for 4,000 years. Some of the greatest doctors are the ones that have been studying what God revealed about diseases and quarantine and things for thousands of years, it's been in their culture. I was telling my son the other day, because he has Bible class over here at our school, and he's just like, Dad, do we have to go to church? I I hope he's not listening. I don't like using him as a... He's like, I'd have Bible class every day and chapel once a week at school. And I'm like, son, you're learning the most important book in the history of the world. Do your homework. It's the foundation of everything good that's ever come into this world. You know? And he's like, okay, let's go to church. You know, I've written for you, Ephraim, I've written for you the great things of my law, but you looked and they're like, oh, what is all this? You know, we want to make our own religion. And you're on your own. I want to I know God's word and have him working in my life. You know? And so they missed out on the rich blessings of forgiveness that was the first thing you saw in the sacrifice, forgiveness, and then life in his presence. They missed out all that God was seeking to bring to them. Instead, they're empty as they're worshiping the gods that their own minds have invented. They're empty, and, and all that's in their flesh is being manifest in their community, and they're lying, and they're, fraud, they're fraudulent, and you know, there's murder and there's adultery, have fun. Man, how much of a mess can you make of your family, of your life, of your community? But the sacrifices of my offering, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord doesn't accept them. You see, because God accepted the sacrifice that he prescribed because it was all a foreshadow and a picture of who he is and what he was gonna do for us in Christ which when someone hears that gospel they're made well because his love blows us away and heals our souls and brings us near God and he fills us and then his love works through us. God says I don't accept your sacrifice. You can't just come to me the way you think you wanna come to me. You come to me through what I've done for you. And all pagan sacrifices are what we do for God. And God's like going, Who do you think I am? I don't need you to do anything for me. I'm God, and you're a little tiny speck of humanity, a little grubby speck of humanity. I don't need if if I don't you think I drink the blood of bulls and goats? If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Read Psalm 50. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. That's a pagan mentality that I could bring God and it's going to make God happy if I bring a little mud pie with a candle in it with my grubby little hands. That's not the sack. God rejects that. He, I don't, that's, it's actually blasphemous to think that the God, the God of the heavens and earth is waiting for you to bring something to him. No, he has brought something to us. And it's his own blood that was shed. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That's the sacrifice he accepted. And there in Jerusalem, in the sacrifice, that was a foreshadow. It was a prophetic, interactive, prophetic model of Jesus Christ and him crucified in the middle of the camp of Israel for centuries. Now he'll remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and has built idol temples. Judah has also multiplied four to five cities, and I will send fire upon those cities and devour those places. And that's the end, chapter 13. The sacrifice that God accepts. What did I say? That's the end that's the end of verse 14 of chapter 8. Yeah. The sacrifice that God accepts is the sacrifice that he himself has made. God gave his son and interestingly he gave himself because God 2 Corinthians tells us God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The blood of God was shed. Now there's effectual. We're going to skip all that because we're over time. That's the sacrifice he accepts. Do we, are we coming to God? Come to God through the new and living way that he has made. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the way we come to him and know him and experience his presence and his favor upon our lives. This is where we come and we see the love, this love that goes beyond imagination. That you can't imagine a greater love. He want that God God's just trying to bring us to the place where we we look unto him, where we don't drift away from looking at him, <laughs> you know. That we Fix our eyes upon Jesus. Just look at him. Do you know that's all he wants you to do is just look at him and keep looking at him? And as you look at him, his love will start to penetrate you. And it'll get in you. And then as it's working in you, at some point it'll start working through you and that's all that he wants. That's all that he wants. Where the genuine love of God is coming to you, working in you and through you. That's what God wants. That's all he wants. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's all summarized in him, consolidated in him. This is, all of this is flowing towards him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this amazing thing that you've been doing all through human history over centuries and even millennia of time. And here we are. Believers, in this one that all these sacrifices pointed to and we look back upon, we thank you, Lord. We so easily drift. We so easily drift away from looking at him, Lord, that we might fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith the lover of our souls, the redeeming lover of our souls. Keep us there, Lord, resting in your goodness until your goodness works through us to those around us. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name and everybody who agreed, said out loud together, amen. Blessings upon you. Say hi to somebody. We didn't do that up front, so do it before you go. Say hi, meet somebody you've never met maybe. And we'll see you next time. We'll go into the next chapter. Blessings.